I came this morning to declare not only to our church, not just to our church, that our best days are ahead of us, but I came to pronounce to you by the grace of God that your best days, your best days, I want you to hear me now. There are some of us in this room who can't even wrap our heads around it. How can life be any better than it was? Isn't that why we go back to the good old days? Because in our minds, we can't imagine what is in front of us being any better than the way things were. So we long for the good old days. The Israelites are in the wilderness 40 years and their hearts longed for the leeks and the pomegranates and the onions of Egypt because they couldn't see life beyond the wilderness. And when we can't see what is ahead of us, when we lose our joyful, confident expectation of good in our future, it'll cause us to long for what was. God hasn't called you. He hasn't called us as a church to go back. He hasn't called us to stay where we are either. He's called us to move forward in faith and by faith. But it begins with the picture on the inside of you. That joyful, confident expectation of good. That joyful, confident expectation of good. It's turning around. It is turning around for you. You may not be able to see it right now. You may not be able to feel it right now. It's turning around for you. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, this morning on Vision Sunday, may I remind you that sight is a function of the eyes. But vision is a function of the heart. What God's about to do in our church is not going to be the result of what we see externally out here. It's going to be the result of the dream that God places in here and our willingness to pursue and our willingness to fight together for what God has invited us into right here in this city. So our theme for our sixth anniversary is lifted from Isaiah chapter number 43, beginning at verse 18. The text will be on the screen, and I'll be reading specifically from the voice translation. Two scriptures that I'll read, and then I'll begin the process of casting vision for what's next for our church together. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there yet, say oh me. A oh, couple of you. Amen, amen, amen. Well, we do have the text on the screen. Let me pray as we look to God's word. Uh, 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 Jarius, why don't you stay there, man? That, that, that helped me. That helped me a little bit. Thank you, Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious holy word. And we approach it now with reverence. No gimmicks, no tricks, no manipulation. Just the purity of your word and the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Lord, we ask you now to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, hearts to receive all that you will speak to us in this moment, in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that this word will not only be for this moment, but it will sustain us for many days to come. For your word said that the angels came and ministered to Elijah and prepared him bread. And he went in the strength of that one meal many days. I pray, God, that as a church, we will not be forgetful hearers of your word, but we will be doers of your word, and that we will go in the strength of this word, that our best days are ahead of us, many days. Sustain us now by your word, for man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, Lord, take these lips of clay and speak life to your people Make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Yeah. Our best days, City Church, are ahead of us. Yeah. 
And we have the witness in Isaiah 43 and verses 18 and 19 to assure us of that promise. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews that hope is the anchor of our souls. What that means is when we have hope and we hope in God's word and we hope in God's promise, it has a stabilizing effect on the soul of the believer, on the mind of the believer. So as we look to God's word uh, concerning City Church, what it will be to us is the same as a captain lowering his anchor and bringing stability to his vessel in the midst of the storm. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Isaiah chapter 43 Verses 18 and 19. It says, don't revel only in the past or spend all your time recounting the victories of days gone by. Watch closely. Open your eyes and see. Notice that I am preparing something new. It's happening right now. Even as I speak. I want you to hear that again, City Church. And I want you to hear that not only for our church, but I want you to hear it for you. I am doing something new, present tense. It's happening now, even as I speak. How many of you realize that sometimes what God is doing in the present is not always evident? But just because I can't see it. Every farmer understands this principle. That when he plants that seed. And covers that seed with the dirt, with the earth, with the soil. Has no idea. What's happening under the ground. But he knows. That there is a process taking place over which he has very little control. The seed working with the soil, does what it's supposed to do. And all the farmer does is his part, even when he can't see what's happening below the surface. What does that mean? Right now, God is doing something in your life and my life that may not be evident, but it's turning around for you. Just because I can't discern it doesn't mean that God is not working on my behalf. The second thing, the second witness we find in the script or the scriptures from the text is lifted from Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10. And listen to what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says. He says, why? He says, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely. He says, every time you ask yourself that question, where are the good old days? I wish things were like they used to be. When we start longing more for the past than we do for the future, Solomon says, you do not inquire wisely. And this morning, God wants us to recalibrate our vision so that we begin to look forward with great faith. So let me speak to that specifically as it relates to our church. Every visionary and every dreamer thinks of the way that things will be. Because Stephen Covey says you always want to start with the end in mind. So when my wife and I started to dream about City Church, man, it was like, man, we know what we do. We're good at what we do, man. Man, We're going to start this church, man, overnight. We ain't going to know where to put all the people that are going to show up. There's going to be thousands of people coming from Irwin. And they're going to be lining up around the building just to hear fabulous Ray and Wendy tell them about Jesus. And how many of you realize that life doesn't always unfold the way you scripted it? The dream will be tested. Your motives will be tested. Your relationships will be tested. And so the thing that drives you must be greater than self-promotion. And so when we started this church, we had it scripted a certain way. But there's really only two kinds of churches, y'all. 
There's one kind of church that's called a Hail Mary church, where those things happen for them, where, where, where the pastor takes the ball and he throws the Hail Mary pass, and overnight, man, people are coming from north, south, east, and west, and they're busting at the seams. That does happen. And unfortunately, most of us measure our lives by the successes of others. Can I tell you? That comparison will do one of two things. It will either leave you walking away with an inflated estimation of yourself because there's always be somebody that you're doing better than. Or it will leave you walking away with a deflated estimation of yourself because there's always going to be somebody who's doing better than you. So the true measure of success is really, am I living up to the potential? Am I living up to the dream? Am I living up to the vision that God placed in my heart regardless of what's happening around me? So there have been many nights when my wife and I have struggled because we thought we would be that Hail Mary church, grab the, throw the pass, touchdown, be like Tom Brady, Super Bowl 51, come from behind, beat the Atlanta Falcons. Chuck, I know you hear me. Oh, no, Chuck's not here. He just left. That's probably why. And most of us think our lives are going to unfold that way. I've got the dream. I've got it scripted. And it's going to unfold just the way I planned it. Most of us don't create enough margin in our lives for interruptions and disappointments. Most of us only plan our trip and say it's going to go just the way I planned it. Yet every time we go on a road trip, we anticipate interruptions. Because you got a spare tire in the trunk. You plan your gas stops. In every other area of our lives, we anticipate interruptions and disruptions. Sometimes we walk away from the dream disappointed because we didn't create enough margin for the setbacks that are inevitable. It will not unfold the way you scripted it. And can I trust God in the detours? Because most of us get stuck in the detour and we can't see beyond where we are to the glorious future that God has ahead of us. So, 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 Hail Mary Church, that's what I was believing God for. Oh, we got this. But there's not only Hail Mary Churches, and that happens for some churches, but there are other churches that are called up-the-middle churches. And an up-the-middle church is a church that has an incredible running game. They just grind it out one, one yard at a time. One yard at a time. Or ten yards at a time. Or one down at a time. Can I testify to you, City Church, that this morning, after six years of doing this, and I see my man Damon Denson, he played pro ball. You understand what I'm talking about? After grinding you get beat up, don't you? After six years of doing this, I realized, wow, I had this epiphany. City Church is not a Hail Mary church. <laughs> you know how much weight that took off my shoulder? That if you don't have a strong passing game, perfect your running game. And that God in his, in his sovereignty and God in his omnipotence has said, you know what? I've done it for people where they took the ball and threw it. But I'm going to do it a little bit differently for you and Wendy and for City Church. And with every yard you gain, I will develop character in you. I will teach you the lessons of faith and perseverance. I'm going to do it differently for you because my process for you is different than everybody else's. Mm. Most of us don't, don't want that. Yet we read the scripture and God gave Joseph a dream that everybody's going to be bowing to him. But the dream begins with him in the pit. And we don't make allowances for setbacks. So City Church, this morning I want you to know that you are in good company. You are in good company because there's Abram who waited 25 years for the fulfillment of the promise. There's David who was anointed king at 16 who didn't sit on the throne until he was 30. 
And so what do I do in that 14-year period of incubation when I say, God, we should be much farther along than we are? No, no, no. God is in the details. And it may be that he's developing Christ-like character in each of us. And so can I announce to you on Vision Sunday that City Church, in this season of our life, I wish I could say to you that we're a Hail Mary church, but we're going to grind this thing out one yard at a time. And for every yard we gain, we will see the faithfulness and the glory of God because God will go before us and he'll make that hole so we can gain a few more yards. I love, I love this process and I have submitted to this process with God. I don't wrestle with him about it anymore. Wendy and I do our part and say, God, do what you desire to do as we are faithful to you. Our best days are ahead of us. In fact, the Chinese bamboo, the Chinese bamboo, when it is planted, does not break the soil for the first five years. But that farmer knows that if he continues to come every day to that place where he planted that seed every day for five years with no evidence that anything is ever going to come out the ground. He is faithful even when he can't see the fruit of his labor. But in the sixth year, somebody say sixth year. Is it possible that what God is doing here at City Church is akin, similar to what he does with the Chinese bamboo? Because in the sixth year, in a matter of five weeks, the Chinese bamboo grows 90 feet. People who live in the regions of China where they grow the Chinese bamboo say the bamboo grows so fast it's almost like you can hear the bamboo straining as it stretches and it grows. Is it possible that maybe in our sixth year that God will do for us? He will do such a work of acceleration in our church that he will do for us what he does for the Chinese bamboo. I wish I could do the story justice, but I want you to check this out. Why don't we run that footage real quick, and then I'll cast vision, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's kill the lights and run the video for us. Yeah. Come on, City Church. You are a Chinese bamboo tree. That's good news. Amen. So what does that mean for City Church? As I was preparing for Vision Sunday, I had to go back to the beginning. Because when you go through a season of interruptions and disruptions and distractions and detours, it will cause you sometimes to question what God said. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? Sometimes when life isn't working out the way you dreamed it, the way you planned it, you begin to question what you thought you heard God say. So in 1999, as as we're about to graduate Bible college, I began to pray about what was next for my life. And I knew that God had called me to plant a church. There are some people in Bible college who feel that they're called to go on staff at a church. There are some people who take over existing churches. I knew in my heart that God had called my wife and I to plant a life-giving church. This was in 1999. City Church didn't come up out of the ground until March of 2011. The dream is for an appointed time. And even though God had spoken to us about planting the church, we didn't plant the church until 12, 13 years later. Incubated in our hearts. And when God gave us the release, we planted City Church. In fact, fact, I think it would be a good time right now to, to thank the guy who I had the very first conversation with about City Church. Most people don't know him. But the week that my wife and I were going to our pastor to tell them about our transition, God had already spoken to this guy and a group of people to say, Ray and Wendy, we want to help you. 
I had no idea. Had not asked anybody for help. All I knew was God had prompted us to start City Church, and now was the time. Now, how many of you realize when you quit your job, they stop paying you? <laughs> All I knew was, God, you've called me to plant this church, and now is the time. And out of the blue, this guy calls me up, and I think we're going to meet about something else. He said, Ray, have you ever thought about planting a church? You should have seen my face. Because it was two days before I was supposed to have the conversation with my pastor. And God had already made preparation. Justin, why don't you stand up? Most of you guys don't even know who Justin Marsh is. But the first conversation that I ever had about City Church, apart from me and my wife, was with Justin Marsh. And God had already prepared. He had already made provision for us even before I had the conversation. All I had to do was say yes to God. I'm ready to launch. And God had already prepared a people to sustain the work. When you are in the middle of God's will, you don't have to manipulate nobody. And that's why at City Church, there's a hassle-free guarantee. You know why? Yeah. Hassle-free guarantee. You can get involved in what God is doing or you can totally ignore it. You're going to miss out. Because the, one of the promises that God gave us was from Exodus 3 and verse 20. And the scripture says, you will not go out empty-handed. We have never sent out a support letter to anybody. We have never sent out a partnership letter to anybody. Our church is debt-free and we have money in store, not because we have some big uh, uh, person stroking checks, but because of the faithfulness of little people and our faith in God. That when God gave us that word, you will not go out empty-handed. God gave me that word in 1999, somewhere around 19, somewhere around 2008 or so. And I knew as this thing was incubating that when we stepped out in faith that God would make supernatural provision for it. And there was a whole group of people who said, man, if you step out, we got you. That wasn't my motivation. I was about to have the conversation with my pastor when this guy showed up. And God has made provision. That's why even in the lean times, even I have pastor friends who every year in the summer send out letters because they can't make budget. God has provided for us supernaturally. And just as he provided for Abraham as he went up the hill, God had already provided a ram in the thicket because of the dream that he put in our hearts. As I was preparing for Vision Sunday, I had to go back to the promises that God gave us. And City Church is established on five promises. Exodus 3, verses 20 and 21 is one of them. You will not go out empty-handed. You know what I thought that meant? I thought that meant... Because my wife and I had served faithfully, faithfully in ministry. That when I left, whoo, big checks. That's our human nature. We think that we will reap where we have sown. But that's not what God promises. He said you will reap what you've sown, not where you've sown. Let me help you because that will disappoint you. A lot of times we do kind things. And expect something in return. This is what we say. You owe me one. Every time you do something for someone expecting something in return, you have created a debt or an obligation. But when you do it by faith, knowing that it's not where you've sown, but what you've sown. And God has made provision for us every step of the way. That was the second scripture he gave us, Exodus 3.20. In fact, it's not only a good time to honor Justin and Sylvia, who were with us this morning, but everybody who was a part of that launch team, you were in the house, you were in the house in Frisco, and you're still with us, and you're still with us. Why don't you stand? I see Cedric and Lisa. Why don't you stand? Jerry and Kirsten. I see Lolita and Trinity, Spencer, Justin, and Sylvia. I see Jesse and Miss Pat, Shelby and Mike. 
Yeah. Six years later, you may be seated. Six years later, still here. The reason I asked them to stand is we had so much momentum when we launched City Church. We had up to 100. We had like 120 people in that house when we launched. Six years later, this is all that's left. This is all that's left. And part of the reason for that is that God will send people to help you build your dream who are just the scaffolding. And after the building is built, the scaffolding is removed. We thank God for the scaffolding. Because our, our story will be very different without those people. But we also thank God for every brick in the permanent structure. And these are some of the people you see right here, right now. Out of 120 people, six, seven couples still standing. Thank you for believing in us and for dreaming with us. We had uh, dinner with some friends at a birthday party, a pastor of a church and his wife who were having a conversation with him. And this is what she said to us. She said, hey, man, you guys are celebrating your sixth anniversary. What was the hardest part for you? I said, right between year three and year four, man, that's when everything just got weird. We saw crazy attrition, like we lost about a third of the people who were coming. And this is what his wife said, the pastor's wife. She said, in year three, we lost everybody that started the church with us. So some of these experiences as pastors and as churches is not uncommon. We celebrate you, Cedric and Lisa and Jerry and Kirsten and Justin and Sylvia and, and, and Shelby and Mike and, and, and uh, Spencer and, and, and who else was here? Who else stood? Pastor Jesse and Lolita and, and Trinity and Pastor Jesse and his pastor. We celebrate you. Thank you for hanging in there, for allowing us to fail, for allowing us to fall before you. But the second scripture I had to go to, and this is where I end, it's the very verse of scripture that God gave me back in 1999 and says, this will be the picture of the church that you and Wendy are called to plant. Because when you start to struggle with whether you're a Hail Mary church or an up the middle church, you have to go back to what you heard God say. You've got to go back to your Ebenezer. So in 1999, as I'm pacing the floor at Rayma Bible Training College in, in Tulsa, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, as I'm praying, the Lord says, Ray, Titus 2.5, Titus 2.5, Titus 2.5, Titus chapter 2 verse 5. So I go to Titus chapter 2 and verse 5, and this is what it says. Because even though I'm casting vision today for the rest of the month and into April, this is just Vision Sunday 1.0. Because I can't say everything in one worship experience. But in order for us to look forward, we have to remind ourselves of what God has called us to do. And this is what he says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, for this reason, Titus 1.5, I think I said 2.5, Titus 1.5. He says, for this reason, for this purpose, I left you, I planted city church in Plano, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, number one. And number two, that you would appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. The name City Church is not unique to our church. There's hundreds of city churches all around the country, all around the world. But the reason we call it City Church is because of Titus 1.5, that the mandate that God has given us is to go into the city and do two things. One, to set in order the things that are lacking. And two, to develop people. That's what he's called us to do. Now, now let, me, let me explain what that means. Because every church should be very specific about what they're called to do. So we have to start asking ourselves the question, Lord, what is missing? What is lacking in our city? Because you've called us and you've created us to be the solution to that problem, that gap, that opportunity in our city. The dilemma with church planters is we all start churches to be unique. And then we go to every concert, conference in the world to copycat what everybody else is doing. In some wrong with that? Well, God gave me this vision and it's different from every other vision. Yet we try to copycat what everybody else is doing. And at six years old, I had to go back to the source and say, God, what does that mean to set in order? The, because you don't need another church like the church down the street 
You want something new. You want something different. So I started to ask that question, God, why on earth are we here? Why are we in Plano? And our purple cow, and when I say purple cow, I'm talking about Seth Golden, who talks about the purple cow. He said if you're driving down this back road and you see this open pasture and you see cows in the pasture, it's not weird to see a black cow or brown cow. But if you saw a purple cow, you'd get out that car. You'd pull out your phone, Facebook Live, Instagram Live. You would have to tell somebody. Well, what's our purple cow that sets us apart? That makes people want to stop and tell somebody, I just saw a purple cow at City Church. What is our distinction and what sets us apart? Because God is not inviting us to be like every other church. So I had to ask God that question. Who are we and what are we created to do? So here it is. What's our purple cow? I hope you won't be underwhelmed because it may be extremely obvious to you. But James, I don't think I fully understood. Here it is. Vision Sunday. I want to paint a picture in your heart and in your mind of what God has called City Church to do. Here's our purple cow. God is calling us to plant a life-giving Christ-centered, multicultural, economically diverse church that is in the heart of the marketplace in our city. Let me stop there for a second. Because I don't think there was anything that I said previously that was ground-shattering because every church is supposed to be life-giving. Every church is supposed to be Christ-centered. Every church, right, is supposed to, what's the other thing I said? Every church is supposed to, supposed to be multicultural. Look around you. Look around you. Our ethnic makeup at City Church is an anomaly not only in this city, but in any city. Because our churches, in fact, Dr. King said the most segregated day of the week is Sunday. Where black people worship together, white people worship together, Hispanics worship in their own corner. Yet the church that Jesus imagined was a church that would worship regardless of their ethnic heritage. That the thing that unites us would not be our race, but the cross of Jesus Christ. And our purple cow, our purple cow in this city right here is a picture of the church that Jesus imagined. Don't take it for granted. I have guest speakers come. Adonis Lindsay, every time he comes to our church, he is blown away. Say, so how you doing, man? Listen to what, what in Bible college, this is what pastors say. They say, if you want to have a multicultural church, you got to have a multicultural staff. And then one day I was sitting in the midst of pastors. I say, hold on, pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. I have a problem with that. Because having a multicultural staff is strategic. But is it sincere? I know you got people of all races and ethnicities on your staff. How many of them you got in your life? Because it's one thing to be strategic and say, Jake, you white, lead worship, and then we'll attract white people. Come on, somebody. But if Wendy and I are not living that way, all it is is a strategy and it's not sincere. And God is calling us as a church to move beyond our comfort zones. Y'all notice I'm from Liberia, West Africa. If there's anybody I should be ministering to with traditional thinking, this should be an African church. But the church that God has called us to be, our purple cow, is to be willing to walk across the room and engage somebody who's different than us, who looks different than us. Not only that, not only multicultural, but economically diverse. Because we have people here in our church who are senior VPs and some people who are looking for jobs. And when God called us to the shops at Legacy, he showed me the story of Jericho. Blind Bartimaeus is on the outskirts of Jericho and he starts to cry out to Jesus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops to minister to the guy who was down and out. Inside the city was a guy named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector and he was loaded. He was desperate for Jesus and he climbed into a sycamore tree. Jesus saw him and stopped and said, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house. So the church that God has called us to be 
is a church that stops long enough to minister to Bartimaeus, the down and out, and can still minister effectively to, to, to Zacchaeus, who is not just up, but he's also up and out. I hope you'll hear that. Just because somebody lives in Willow Bend doesn't mean they got it all together. Just because somebody lives in the right... In fact, when my wife and I moved in 2000, our family doctor says there are more antidepressant descriptions in Plano than any other city in the United States per capita. In Plano. More people on antidepressants. I don't know if the statistics are still the same, but in 2000, when we moved here, our family physician, who was a Christian, told me that. God has called us to minister to people who are not just down and out, but up and out. Where is it supposed to happen? It's supposed to happen right here in the heart of the marketplace. When you read the life of Jesus, Jesus did most of his ministry not in the temple, not in the synagogue, he did it in the heart of the marketplace. He did it where people gathered. The reason we have the story of the woman at the well is because Jesus came to the well because that's where people gathered. The reason we have the story of Bartimaeus and Jericho is because people gathered at the gates. And if we're going to be a church that's different, God is calling us to be in the heart of the marketplace. And I'm about to close, I promise you, with this. I'm about to close because, because, because here's the deal. Most of us think... Most of us think that we're blessed if we have our own facility. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But this week, on Wednesday, my wife and I will be sitting with, uh, with one of the campus pastors for National Community Church in Washington, D.C. Most of you know the pastor, Mark Batterson, who wrote The Prayer Circle. And their church is 20 years old. They have eight campuses and they only own one. The other seven campuses are all movie theaters. And I talked to Pastor Joshua, I said, why? In fact, their church has the wherewithal to buy any building anywhere at any time. In fact, he was telling me, he said, Ray, we had a goal that in, by 2020, we would give away $2 million every year to missions. He said, we gotta come up with a new goal because we hit that last year. Resources are not their problem. They can buy any building anywhere at any time. So I asked him, I said, Where's your, what's your red hot why? Why have you chosen to stay in a movie theater? He said, Ray, for ministry. We want to be where people are. And every Sunday, over 10,000 people gather in eight movie theaters to worship. This is what he also said. The reason we have $2 million to give away every year to missions it's because for 20 years, we haven't spent it on buildings. Let me, let me, let me, let me warn you. Let me give you, let me, foresight for all the pastors you see building massive churches. Most of them are freaking out now. Let me tell you why they're freaking out. Because the millennials that are filling their pews are not interested in giving their money to pay for nobody's building. They want to take their money, excuse me. I baptize this front row in Jesus' name. Water baptism from my lips to your clothes in Jesus' name. Sorry, baby. That was close. That almost hit you right on your knee, baby. That was a little good gush too, baby. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Awesomeness. So all these massive multi-million dollar buildings, millennials, they want to give their money to provide clean water halfway across the world. They want to rescue children from human trafficking, which is one of the things that our church has been able to do for six years. Partner with missionaries. From day one, we have given away 10% of our income to missions. Why? Every month. Why? Because we've said we'll be frugal so we can be generous. And the reason we're able to do any of it is because our strategy has always been be conservative. I have pastor friends who are struggling under the weight of paying for a building and no no resources to do any kind of ministry. Can't do it because they're paying for a building and utilities. Is that the highest and best use of your resources? No, no. So, so here's the deal. I'm not opposed to getting a building. We will 
Because we trust God for a notable miracle that God's going to give us a building that we couldn't even pay for. Because his promise is you will not go out empty handed. Until then, until then, as I've prayed about it, we need to stay right where we are. Let me tell you why, why we need to stay right where we are. Because what we do, what we do here every Sunday is not about the building. In the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle and there was the temple. For 40 years, they worshiped in the tabernacle in the wilderness, portable church. 40 years, portable church. And then when they came into a place of permanence, they built a temple and the temple was glorious. The problem is most of us ignore the temple. I mean the tabernacle because it's temporary and we want the temple because it's permanent. When the reason we ought to be showing up is for the presence of God. Was the presence of God, was the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, even though it was portable, even though it was temporary, did God's presence show up in the tabernacle? In fact, God's presence was more evident in the tabernacle because he manifested his Shekinah and they could see the glory of God. In the temple, they couldn't. Sorry, baby, I just hit you. That was a In the temple, come on somebody. In the temple, they couldn't see the glory of God because the glory of God was concealed beyond the veil. So even though it was a beautiful building adorned with gold and silver, only one person could access the presence of God. Only one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And that was the the high priest. And the people had to stand outside the outer courts. They couldn't even approach God, even though they had their fine, fancy building. They couldn't even encounter God. Yet when God was in the tabernacle, they saw the fire by by night and the cloud by day. But all of us want to be in a building. Let me just talk about dollars and cents. We're not anywhere close to being in a building. Our giving is not next level giving. The kind of building that we need to accommodate us will be a minimum of 20 thousand dollars a month I've worked with realtors we've looked all around I'm not putting that pressure on me or you so if y'all want a building we can get into a building but just make sure every Sunday (laughs) you're gonna come with it and every Sunday you walk through the doors we'll be selling holy water from the Jordan for $1,000 and the piece of the Shroud of Turin for 5000 if we want a building that desperately. Let me tell you something. I have, no, I, have no, I have no doubt whatsoever that when it comes to our facility that God will do a notable miracle. It's going to blow our minds and he alone will get all the glory and honor for it. This, I told you, is Vision Sunday 1.0. What am I saying? God has called us to the heart of the marketplace, right here where we are, for the people that he will send. I see Chris Gillum. Chris Gillum lived in the shops of Legacy. Her first Sunday year was her birthday. She had a conversation with Jerry. And I thank God for ushers who love people. Found out it was her birthday. Chris sat somewhere here, first or second row. Lisa went across the street and got her a slice of cake. And we sang happy birthday to her. Four or five years later, Chris is still here. Her fiancé, Philip had looked for a church for years. Y'all know this is the buckle of the Bible Belt. Finally found a home here at City Church. Chris is the granddaughter of a preacher. But when she came to City Church, she had been out of the church for a while. My wife took her and bought her a Bible. Not only is Chris living a life that honors Jesus, who used to live right here in the shops of Legacy and heard about us because she's in the shops of Legacy, her aunt and uncle, Sherry and Art, go to church here. Her cousin Dana goes to church here. I see Katie Reed. Katie Reed goes to our church because of Chris Gillum. Malou, Milu, goes to our church because all of them live here in the Shops of Legacy. Chad Bozarth, uh, who was one of our ushers, is here because we're here in the Shops of Legacy. I can tell you story after story. I see Cassie White, Brian and Cassie White. They used to go to Watermark Church in Dallas. And they came to City Church and they said, man, this is where we're supposed to be, but we don't know how long we're going to be here because we're building a house in Prosper. Move to the house in Prosper. They've been here every single Sunday since they started coming to City Church. Why are we here? 
We're here for people who may not typically go to a church. And then there's Kate Fostel. And I promise this is my final closing. <laughs> final closing, Kate Fostel. Who Chris invited? Who started to come to our church? Lived in the shops and legacy. Chris was an educator and taught. Uh, uh, Kate was an educator and taught in a charter school. Uh, and uh, while Kate was here, God started to speak to her, and uh, she signed up for a Bible study that Wendy taught called "What Happens When Women Say Yes to God." And Kate signed up for that Bible study, came to that Bible study, and around the third or fourth week, Kate crossed the line of faith. She trusted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Now. She said yes to God. After the Bible study ended, we stopped seeing Kate. Even Chris and Philip tried to find Kate, and they would call her and text her, and she wouldn't respond. And finally, they said, you know what, we're going to go to her apartment, and they beat on the door, and she finally reluctantly opened the door. When they found Kate, she was jaundiced from the, head of, from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet, yellow because her liver was shutting down. Because Kate's contract had not been renewed at the charter school and she had relapsed because when Kate was in college, she partied hard. In fact, most of the people who knew Kate knew her for that side of her life. They didn't know she had crossed the line of faith. When they took Kate to the detox center, the detox center said, it's too late. Y'all take her to the ER. They immediately put Kate in ICU. And in, what, three days, Kate was gone. But before Kate died, she said yes to God. And, and, and so the family was looking for a good memory of their daughter. Any of you who have children can understand that you don't want to hear that your daughter drank herself to death. And said, wasn't Kate going to church before she died? And Chris said, yes. And the family reached out to us and said, is there any chance that you can come to the funeral and offer some type of encouragement and hope to the family members and the friends who will be there? Had no idea that Kate's dad is this high-profile lawyer. He's a judge. And we show up at the funeral, and all these legal dudes, legal luminaries, he's the judge, wise county judge, and, and we go to this Methodist church, and and so on the drive up there, Wendy, for some reason, still had the sign-up sheet. And Kate's name was about the fourth name down. And at the top of the sign-up sheet, it said, what happened when women say yes to God? And there was a name, Kate Fostell, with her cell phone and her email. And we put that in a frame for the family. And I'm on the drive up there. You know, Kate had signed up to serve in children's church. And on the drive up there, I just really felt that God wanted us to do something as a church something meaningful for Kate's legacy. Most times in life, y'all, we try to remember people by the last bad thing they did. That's not the kind of church God has called us to be. And, and so on the drive up there, I said, let's do something special for Kate. And I said, Lana is in Thailand. That's this missionary support in Thailand, rescuing kids from child trafficking. The first child she rescued, she rescued for $35, a whole human being, somebody's baby. And so he said, we know what? We're going to do something in Kate's honor, and we're going to call it Kate's Kids. Never had her own kids, but since she signed up to start serving Children's Church, we're going to do something in her honor. And so my wife got up there and wrecked the place. There was not one dry eye in the building. And we told them, we said, in Kate's honor, we're going to launch Kate's kids. And our dream still is to build a safe house, our own safe house called Kids Kids in Kate's Kids in Thailand. It's a little bit more on the expensive side, but recently uh, Lana told us about some opportunities told us about some opportunities. One of those opportunities, because these kids are rescued and they're traumatized, they just need a space to play, so they're building a playground. And the cost of that playground is $5,000. As a result of that funeral, we had just under $4,000 come in from friends and family members because we told them we wanted to do Kate's Kids. So on July 23rd, save that date, Lana is going to be with us. And we're going to give her, by faith, we're going to make up that extra $1,000, City Church. Yeah. 
We're going to make up that extra $1,000. And in Kate's honor, in Kate's honor, we're going to pay for that playground. And little boys and girls who are rescued from human trafficking will have a place to play for decades. Because Chris walked across the street. We bought her a slice of cake. She invited a few friends, one of them who died too early, but crossed the line of faith because our church was right here in the marketplace and her legacy will live on halfway across the world in Thailand where little children who are rescued from human trafficking will have a place to play. Why are we here? Why are we here? It's to be in the heart of the marketplace just as Jesus was in the marketplace. Why are we in a movie theater? It gives us enough margin to have money to help hurting people. This is Vision Sunday 1.0. I wish I had time to read this to you. But when it's all said and done, there will be 100,000 people who live, work, and play between Legacy Town Center and Legacy West. They just put in a, they, 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 they're putting in a thousand apartment complex. This is Fimi Karani. Huh? He's the, the developer. Turkish immigrant. That's become a dirty word in America, hadn't it? Turkish immigrant. All of this that you see, all of this that's being built, the, the vision of a Turkish immigrant who came to America with only $100 in his pocket. And I will read this article to you next week. So you can see the opportunities that we have right here. He's already called Winrose Avenue the Rodeo Drive of Texas. Do those people who are, in fact, when I told Pastor Joshua at National Community Church about where we were, what we do, and he said, Ray, it sounds like God is sending the world to you. <laughs> and what I'm praying, what I'm asking you, it's just bear with us a little while longer because I know we want, I got a seven-year-old in children's church. I know you want the bells and whistles, but I'm asking you to just endure the inconvenience of the tabernacle a little bit longer. Endure the inconvenience of being in a tent a little bit longer so that when the time comes, we will have everything we need to build the temple. Until then, in this tabernacle, let's reach as many people as we can with what we have. Go back to vision. I left you in this city to set in order the things that are lacking. What's lacking in our city is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, economically diverse church that preaches the Bible that is in the heart of the marketplace. Prestonwood will do their thing. Bentry Bible Fellowship will do their thing, but what God has called us to do is to be an up-the-middle church that grinds it out one yard at a time in the heart of the marketplace that has enough margin to do life-giving ministry in our city and around the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your precious holy word.